In cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin in particular has this weird intersection of libertarian cypherpunk anarchists and then also financial Wall Street investors, right? They're two groups that would never normally intersect, but in this case, they are. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Interesting People Podcast. I'm Patrick Haynes, joined by my brother of all people. But you're not here because you're my brother. You're here because we talk in Bitcoin. We are talking cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. Yes, that is correct. Mr. Radio. Oh, there we go. How would you tell mom what a Bitcoin is? <laughs> the elevator pitch of Bitcoin. So imagine if you were to design a currency from the ground up using technology. We have current currencies, paper money, et cetera, that have retrofitted technology on top of it. So Bitcoin came out of the financial crisis in part. Okay, so what you're saying is traditional money, what we have now is an evolution of gold-backed currencies and that kind of stuff like that. These things are more based on where you've seen the pitfalls of that, right? Yeah, sort of. So it takes properties of commodity currencies like gold, and it also takes properties of fiat currencies like paper money. And you kind of get the benefits of both. Mm -hmm. There are some drawbacks to it, too, but it's a very interesting concept because, again, it leverages computers, distributed computers, and that's nothing we could ever do before. All right, so background-wise, when did you yourself find out about Bitcoin and what convinced you to get into it? What's the, the gut emotion that made you pull the Bitcoin trigger? I am a web developer, web programmer, so I've been somewhat aware of cryptocurrency for several years now, but I've never really been convinced until recently. Like most people, I imagine, for years, I was concerned about it. I thought it was suspicious. You know, I didn't think it could possibly work. Mind you, I didn't actually research it. It was a lot of fear and, you know, doubt. What really got me interested into it, and this is going to be uh, interesting, this year there was a big Bitcoin surge. And John McAfee, the eccentric libertarian security antivirus guy. Yeah, the guy behind the, the program that's on a lot of people's computer. Exactly. He's since left that company. Actually, he sold it off years ago. But he's a very eccentric figure. And he said in a tweet, he wagered a bet that he thought Bitcoin or, or a similar cryptocurrency would reach $500,000 a piece within three years. So wait, you just said a single Bitcoin would be worth $500,000 so since it is like a, a future currency, do people deal in fractions instead of cents and dollars? Or Exactly. So that's where it's a little bit interesting compared to traditional currencies. Because it is purely digital, you can infinitely subdivide a Bitcoin. There's different units, the smallest of which is a Satoshi. So even though a single Bitcoin right now, it's probably around $6,000, you can buy fractions of a Bitcoin. So you could get oh. $10 worth of a Bitcoin, which would be, you know, X amount of Satoshis, it's subdividable down to many decimal places. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin at a time. Okay, so you're buying fractions. Yeah, yeah. I wish I was a giant whale that had limitless <laughs> pockets, but, you know, I've been starting small and setting aside some. Governments print more money. People always dig up more gold. How do you make more Bitcoins? Bitcoin is open source code. Anyone can see it. So, the rules for Bitcoin have already been established. Throughout all of time, there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins produced. Similar to gold, while we could dig up more gold, mm -hmm. eventually on Earth, the deposits will be depleted. We'll say that gold is somewhat a fixed currency, too, in the sense that the supply is fixed because there's only so much gold yeah. on Earth. In the same sense, unlike paper money, Bitcoin has a fixed supply. What's interesting about Bitcoin is the supply is predictable. Within the code, there's a set schedule of how the Bitcoin will be generated 
And basically when it started out, let's say five Bitcoins were generated for every block. And then a couple of years later, then it's only two. A couple of years later, then it's only one. Until the point to where you reach 21 million, which will okay. be many years from now. It's a set scarcity is what gives these value. It is a deflationary currency by design. The U.S. dollar or yeah. any other paper money, I, I'm pretty sure all of them are fiat currencies. None of them are pinned to a commodity. For any listeners not familiar with fiat, can you just briefly say what fiat is? Sure. Fiat currency, in this case, think of it like faith. You have faith in the U.S. government. That $1 bill is backed, yeah. right? You can't, since Nixon, you cannot trade in the dollar for the equal amount of gold. So there's no backing for fiat currencies. They're strictly faith currencies. Unlike gold has a tangible value, it's non-corrosive, it's dense. Fiat currencies don't really have a tangible value in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. It's all just about what they represent. Okay. People have agreed that there is a set number of those that become more available as time goes by. Yep. And that's what determines the value to a degree. Yeah. It's interesting in that like fiat currencies, the value is just what people put into it. Mm -hmm. But unlike fiat currencies, it is strictly free market supply and demand. A central authority does not maintain or manipulate Bitcoin. Ideally, there's not going to be a situation. I know this is impossible. It's a digital currency. No one's going to be pushing a wheelbarrow full of Bitcoin to buy bread because of that. Um, I mean, it... Uh, that, oh, man. That's, I, a, <laughs> that's a straw man, right? You know, that, that if I were to put that up... I, it would be highly unlikely. Again, it's, it's all about taken in context. It's a deflationary currency. So as time goes on, the value, if the demand increases, which it looks like it is, then the value will increase as well. As a result, Bitcoins will be worth more over time. Compare that to a U.S. dollar, for example, mm -hmm. which is worth less over time. And by that, I mean the buying power. So yeah. the example I think I used in our previous emails was a gallon of milk, right? A gallon of milk, is pretty much the same gallon of milk. There hasn't been a whole lot of disruption and innovation in the <laughs> milk space. So it would take X amount of dollars 30 years ago to get a gallon of milk. It takes more dollars now to buy a gallon of milk. So yeah. the buying power of the dollar is going down. We have cost of living adjustments, so that's kind of hidden. But the point is, if you were to have a dollar sitting on a dresser for 100 years, it'll be worth less in buying power. We all remember dad talking about getting a nickel Coke or yeah. something like that when he was a kid. Exactly. So it's the Coke still is the same old Coke. It doesn't, you know, yeah. do your taxes or anything like that. So <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Well that's that that'll be crypto coke. Yeah, crypto. Actually, you know, that's a I've let that term slide by a whole bunch of times. Let's actually just say Coke is a brand of soda. Bitcoin is a brand of cryptocurrency. Are there other types of cryptocurrencies out there and why did you pick Bitcoin? Is it just the notoriety? Sure. So Bitcoin, as you mentioned, it's a particular type of cryptocurrency. So it was the first one for all intents and purposes, it was the first one on the market to go out into the wild around 2008, give or take. Oh, so it's that recent. Yeah, 10 years. Oh, this is something I would have assumed was invented in Sweden like the late 90s or something. Well, here's the funny thing. It can trace its origins earlier to the 90s and probably before that. It's just that the technology wasn't really there. One of the key components of Bitcoin cryptocurrencies, actually, is that it's a distributed ledger. Can anyone look at the ledger of all Bitcoin anywhere in any place? Correct. Many websites have the ledger online. You can browse it freely. So Bitcoin is a particular type of cryptocurrency. It was the first. That's why it's probably the most well-known. Hmm. 
other cryptocurrencies, although they're not, there's a lot of them. The other big one that most people know about is called Ethereum, or rather Ether. Ethereum is a platform for doing distributed computing. Bitcoin is strictly a currency. It was designed as a digital cryptocurrency. Ethereum is a distributed computing platform. And to do these calculations on the network, you have to pay Ether tokens. So think of Bitcoin like gold and think of Ether like oil. Yeah. Where is Bitcoin seeing the most use? What you'll see in first world countries is it's a bit of speculation investment. So people think it's going to take off big time. So they're grabbing it up and holding on to it, kind of like you would gold. There's another interesting use case in some third world countries where the government-backed currency is failing and the economies are failing, that's where you're actually starting to see cryptocurrencies take off. For example, Venezuela right now, yeah, they are going through an economic crisis. Similar to the wheelbarrows full of money, right? You can't get anything with their currency. So what's happened is they've taken on using cryptocurrencies because the local currency just isn't stable. It just doesn't work. And actually, I think that'll be important in the future is where you have these third world second world countries where, you know, there's not a stable government, there's not true democracy or anything like that. So as a result, the government currency isn't great. That's where you'll see, I think, cryptocurrencies being used as actual currencies as opposed to asset stores. Oh, okay. So you could see cryptocurrencies making a, instead of a top to bottom change across the world, this is something that could be a bottom up. Right. So I think the, in cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin in particular has this weird intersection of libertarian cypherpunk anarchists and then also <laughs> financial Wall Street investors, right? They're two groups that would never normally intersect, mm -hmm. but in this case they are. The kind of the cypherpunk libertarian crowd, they thought about using it as a currency and they designed it as such. So that's where you're getting, I think, the bottom-up change. Okay. But then you also have the investors with lots of money that see this as a growing technology that will take off yeah. like crazy. They're investing in it now and again, treating it more like gold as opposed to an actual currency. Asset store in the sense of you put your money into it, it will hold or gain value over time. Yeah. So they're investing into it, and that's kind of where you're seeing the top down. The question that some people may have thought of where we talk about the ledgers available, does that mean that you can look up any transaction that someone's ever made? Is there a privacy concern out of that? So this is the interesting thing about the ledgers. It is public but anonymous. All it has is the public addresses. So to give a quick rundown of how it all operates, yeah, it's built on top of this technology called a blockchain. What do I mean by that? You have blocks of information that are fed into other blocks of information. So that's where you get the chain. The first block leads into the second block. The second block leads into the third block. Bitcoin, there's no actual Bitcoin per se. There's no physical Bitcoin that you can take. It's all just in the ledger. It's all just a series of transactions. So way back when, with the very first block, they started with X amount of coins in a yeah. certain address. And then as time has gone on, coins have been generated by the network. And those have been transferred from one address to another, from one person to another person. The reason why this all works and the reason why it's all super impressive and kind of innovative is, number one, because the blocks feed into one another, you can't retroactively make a change to a transaction. Let's say I give you a Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So that's a transaction. I have, we'll say five. I give you one. I now have four. You now have one. That would show up as a transaction on the ledger. You now have that coin. Well, yeah. two weeks go by and I want to take it back. The only way for that to happen is for you to generate a transaction giving me it back. Okay. I can't go and undo that previous transaction because that transaction has been captured 
and fed into any other transactions after it or any other blocks. And again, it's using cryptographic hashing, which basically a hash function, it allows you to take an input data Mm. and convert it to a sequence of characters predictably. If you put one thing in, you'll always get the same result out. Point is, the hash of the summary of Mm. block one is fed in as a property of block two. Block two then creates a summary, including that previous summary, and feeds it into block three. Block three then has its own summary that includes the summary of block two, which by design includes the summary of block one, and feeds it into block four. Because they all feed into each other, Mm -hmm. or rather they one feeds into two, feeds into three, if you were to try to change one, it would invalidate because all of the other blocks have been fed that information. To take a, a literal analogy in terms of blocks, it's like a Jenga-based economy. Uh, yeah. Where if you can't slide the block back in. Yeah, exactly. It's not changeable because you've got a network of miners running this ledger. Okay, so blockchain, right? We've got information yeah. that are stored in blocks that feed into one another. That's the chain. But where it gets really interesting, because you could do that just with a single computer, but that doesn't really get you a whole lot. Yeah. The concept of running it on multiple computers, a distributed network. So we've got this ledger, we'll say people, all having the exact same ledger at the same time. Whenever a new transaction is added, everyone gets a copy and they can validate that. That's kind of where the important part is. It's the distributed ledger. And as a result, I think one of the common misconceptions or fears is this idea of hacking Bitcoin and stealing it. You'd have to simultaneously hack everything everywhere at one point, and that doesn't seem to be something that's possible then, right? Right. Within the the actual spec, there's a way to kind of trick the Bitcoin specification. Mm -hmm. And the idea is you need to get a majority of the computing power of the network. So basically, when you're doing a hostile takeover of a company, they always say get 51% of the shares or anything like that. Yeah, It's kind of like that, which is kind of bad that there's a known vulnerability. But understand that 51% of an entire network is infinitely more secure than just a single organization. Well, especially we're talking within days of all the Equifax stuff coming out. Right. uh, Even think of the fact, if you want to talk about Wells Fargo, where they were generating fake accounts for people and and offering that. In this case, you wouldn't be able to fake that because everyone could see that being the case. The network would have to reach consensus. It would X out like a bad program. Exactly. So if I tried to throw phony transactions on there, everyone else on the network would be like, no, this is is not right. We're not going to validate that transaction. So that's part of it Hmm. is you have this group consensus. And this is all happening automatically because of the magic and power of computers, by the way. So (laughs) in the case of trying to hack it to steal coins, hypothetically, it's possible if you had enough processing power to create phony transactions. But we're talking in the ballpark, I think currently it's around $50 billion to create one transaction. So to get $5,000 or $6,000 out. You'd have to spend $50 billion to make that. To get that much processing power. I think it's a weird concept, this idea that it's decentralized, Mm -hmm. you know, no one owns it. But as a result, it's this crazy, innovative concept of, it's it's referred to as trustless, which sounds weird, but the idea is you don't have to trust it. It's automated. It's over an entire network. When you look at the ledger, what you see is the public address. When you create a Bitcoin, what's called a wallet, basically We're getting into the minutiae. We're we're taking a deep dive, friends. (laughs) For all intents and purposes, this isn't technically 100% correct, but for the discussion, a wallet is where you store your coins. There's more to it, but we'll just say that. When you create a wallet, you get two things. You get a public address and a private key. It's a pair. You can give out your public address without having to worry about giving out any private information. Well, it's like giving your home address without handing someone your key. That's exactly right. 
what's on the ledger is mm-hmm. the public address. But guess what? That public address doesn't contain any information. It sense. contains how much money is changed in it, but not necessarily what it was exchanged for or, or who. Okay, or it's who. just okay. public address. You're just following the money. Yeah, you're just following <laughs> so the money. You don't get any personal information. Is that something good for crime or any of that kind of? Is there people saber rattling about that? Actually, a few years ago, Bitcoin was the criminal's choice of currency. That's not a, a title you want to have. Well, <laughs> I'd also point that for years and years, the U.S. dollar has been the choice for criminals, too. Because, oh, that's a solid answer. <laughs> well, let's just break it down. Yeah. When I give you a dollar, there's no record of that. That dollar has changed hands. No one knows. It's not really much different in that regard. So in terms of crime funding, it can be used for that purpose, but it's it's simply a tool. It enables other things as well. So wait, why would someone make a Bitcoin bank? In exchange? In exchange, yeah. Right. Well, what an exchange is, is it's a place where you can trade your fiat currency, your dollars. So you went to an exchange at some point. Yeah. There's only two ways you can really get cryptocurrency. Yeah. You mine it. You operate a computer on the network that verifies transactions. And for verifying those transactions and maintaining the ledger, you're rewarded Bitcoin. Oh, or, so that's what mining means. I've heard the term mining <clears throat> before. So quick aside, when we talked about the distributed network, yeah, that network is made up of computers, right, that are hooked up to the internet. Those are called miners. So what those computers do is they maintain the ledger. The act of mining is verifying transactions. And by mining, by verifying these transactions, these blocks, they get rewarded Bitcoin. So of the 21 million, those that have yet to occur, they get some Bitcoin for maintaining, for being part of it, so to speak. And actually, the only way Bitcoins are created is through mining. The only time uh, Bitcoin gets created is when the network is running verifying transactions. Way back when it first started, I'd have to double check. There was probably like a genesis of where it said, okay, here are a thousand coins to get things going. And the more that people use it, the more Bitcoins start to exist would be the simplest way to state that. Uh, I wouldn't quite say that, but Mm -hmm. the the gist is the only way Bitcoins are created is through miners that maintain the network or you obtain it through a transaction. Gotcha. Because Bitcoin has taken off. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not really, really taken off into the mainstream, but because it's taken off on the fringe, yeah, it's not really profitable to mine Bitcoin to be a, a maintainer of the ledger unless you have dedicated hardware and a lot of money. The algorithm that powers Bitcoin adjusts depending on the amount of nodes on the network, depending on how many people are mining mm-hmm. Bitcoin, so to speak. It adjusts the difficulty of okay. mining. Because otherwise, if you had a thousand million, million people on the network, it'd be throwing out Bitcoins like crazy, right? Okay, so that stops, that, de- that, that stops like that stops Russia from building like a billion computers and then making them mine Bitcoin. <laughs> the, the idea is there's this concept of proof of work. The way they make maintaining the network difficult is by making the computers do something that is hard to do calculation-wise, but easy yeah. to verify. In other words, by maintaining the network, they're all trying to do solve this equation and that the computer that solves the equation gets the Bitcoin and then everyone else can verify that they got the right answer. If that weren't in place, if there wasn't a proof of work, then you could just buy racks and racks and racks of dedicated servers and just control the network. So, oh, right, exchanges. The idea is exchanges make obtaining Bitcoin easier by allowing you to exchange them for dollars or other, you know, uh, euros or what have you. So that's what an exchange is. When you hear about Bitcoin getting hacked, 
generally it's an exchange has gotten hacked. So are they stealing bitcoins or are they stealing the currency that the bank has on hand to back their bit well not not to back but to exchange. So in order for an exchange to operate it has to have the cryptocurrency itself. So the hackers are stealing the exchange's cryptocurrencies. In your case the customer's cryptocurrency. So that's another thread. <laughs> if you do get into cryptocurrency you should have your own wallet where you store your currency yourself because if you store your currency on the exchange, you're open up to vulnerability. If the exchange shuts down, if it gets hacked, yeah. you're SOL. I guess in that case, the exchange wall convenient makes itself a much bigger target is exactly. the issue there. Yeah, exactly. So you're trading convenience for a little bit of danger, so to speak. Exactly. So what I'd recommend is exchange is the path of least resistance. Yeah. Obtain your currency as desired and then transfer it to your own wallet. Okay, don't let it linger in there. Ultimately, if you don't have them in your wallet, they're not your coins. They're not your currency. Okay. You are holding on for the investment aspect, so you've not bought anything with a Bitcoin. Right. As I mentioned before, there's kind of two people really interested in cryptocurrency right now. It's the true believers yeah. And then the investors. And I'm you're both. one of the investors. Well, oh, I'm oh, a little bit true. of both. So I'm I, not just the president. I'm a client. Exactly. So <laughs> looking at the technology, comparing it to our current systems, I believe it is superior. You know, it's been designed from the ground up. In practical terms, though, I'm an investor. My belief is that it will be worth more later on or it may even be adopted so I can use it then. But also because I truly believe in the underlying principles and technology. And I've actually, the code is open source. It's written in C and C++ though. So that's more of the uh, mm -hmm. hardcore stuff, but you can look at it and you know you can noodle around with blockchain yourself too. You can actually write your own blockchain implementation in about probably 200 lines of code. Point is, <laughs> I am a, I'm a believer and an investor. So what's one of the most frustrating misconceptions then? That it is just fake, that it is just completely a fraud. You'll see in the mainstream media, actually. Oh, that's um, a radio term. I think coming out of the financial sectors, you'll see two opinions. One is that it's completely a fraud. It's a tulip bubble. Tulip bubble is a whole other <laughs> conversation. For whatever reason, people started buying up tulip bulbs like crazy as a speculative investment, like spending their whole annual salary on tulip bulbs. And then other people started doing it because they were doing it. At some point, there was an inflection point when people were like, this is crazy. And tulip bulbs were worthless again. Okay, so those, you have people with warehouses full of worthless tulip bulbs at that point. Right. You see people equating Bitcoin to something like that because yeah. they haven't taken the time to research it. So they don't think it has any utility. They think it's just purely speculative. And mind you, there is some speculation. And then also in the financial headlines, you'll also hear about the IMF and other major organizations talking about how they think blockchain is useful. Can someone put their retirement into Bitcoin then? So you don't get dividends for holding cryptocurrency like you would a stock. But because it is a new technology and it potentially could change the world, we're talking this could be the new payment infrastructure for the world. You're seeing the amount of capital that's going into it is what's giving it more and more value. Okay. So I have seen some talk of there being retirement crypto portfolios. I imagine that that will get regulated. Crypto is a largely unregulated space right now. How can it be? Is there a central body to cryptocurrency or? There is not. The regulation would not come in the form of the operation, the mm -hmm. mechanics. It would come in the form of defrauding investors or anything like that. Okay. 
There has been talk of incorporating cryptocurrencies into retirement accounts or anything like that as official vehicles. I know offhand there's people talking about it, moving money from their retirement into crypto themselves, but I think there has been talk of it actually happening as a product or as an option from some of these money management firms. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's there yet, but I imagine pretty soon you'll see that. If people want to learn more about Bitcoin, where are some good resources? Definitely do a lot of research. Mm -hmm. It's a new technology. If you're not careful, you could screw up and you could lose a lot of money. And actually, because it is a volatile new technology, I wouldn't recommend going all in on it. Mm -hmm. So invest. I believe in it. I think it will grow greatly, but only invest what you're willing to lose. If you wanted to get started with it, the way I did it was actually Reddit. There's oh, really? tons of Reddit threads out there. Mind you, there's going to be good and bad. So there's like our crypto and our Bitcoin or something? Unfortunately, because Bitcoin is the largest and the first, there's community drama. So you're going to have to go through the memes. There's good information on there. There's a lot of information out there. It's Is this so recent that this is not something you'd go to the library to find? This still needs to be all digital, right? Correct. You know what it is? It's actually white papers. If you really wanted to get into the weeds, what you'd do is read the white papers, the actual technical documents that define the specification for Bitcoin. That is probably a little bit much for most folks looking to yeah. kind of get in on the action. If you're going to try it out, definitely do your homework. Do your homework. I can't stress that enough. It's not going to be like going to a stockbroker. There's yeah. not going to be those assurances. There's a lot of potential, mm -hmm. but with that potential obviously comes some risk. From what I've seen, people who take the time to do the actual deep dive come out convinced. My hope is that when people hear cryptocurrency or Bitcoin, they don't automatically think fraud and they don't automatically think money laundering Yeah, because there's more to it. Yeah. And I think that's reflected in the market. Just in this year alone, it's gone from, I'll be conservative and say $1,500 of Bitcoin to roughly right now $6,000 of Bitcoin. Maybe mm -hmm. if, if I can have a minute. just No, to, no, please, please. So mm -hmm. when you do a transaction with a debit card or credit card, what you're doing is you're giving the merchant all of your information. You give them the credit card number. You give them the verification code. You yeah. give them your name. You give them the expiration date. And then they make the charge on your behalf. Think about Target. Think about Home Depot. Think about all these companies that have gotten hacked and all of that credit card information has gotten out there, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to get a new credit card. With cryptocurrencies... Bitcoin in particular, instead of that pool-based system where the merchant pulls the money out of your account, it's push-based. I send the money to you. So you never have my personal information. It's just a transaction, right? And I push that transaction to you. You don't pull that transaction. You do not take the money out of my account. I send the money to your account. As we have these plethora of institutions failing to do their due diligence with security, I think you're going to see people going, you know, maybe there's a better way to do it. Mm. In the case of a cryptocurrency, if Target had gotten hacked, all they'd get is, well, there's the public blockchain. They wouldn't get any payment information. As you see traditional institutions failing, you will see more interest going into cryptocurrency. It's almost like people are pre-prepping for the future, for a future collapse. It is partially a hedge, too. It's kind of like gold or silver, right? Yeah. There's people buying gold and silver. And it's also, again, speculative in the sense that people see this technology, they think it'll catch on, and mm -hmm. that later on, because it'll be the de facto infrastructure, it'll be worth a lot, lot more. 
So the faith that everyone talks about is the transactions of it. The currency itself, the coins, so to speak, seems to be almost a neutral element to all of this. The faith is based more on how the system works, not in the currency itself. Yeah, it's you believe in the robustness of the platform. It's the future. I would be very surprised if blockchain technology, cryptocurrencies as a whole, don't take off. I think it's inevitable. I truly believe that. There's even investment hedge fund managers saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. Whether Bitcoin becomes the de facto one, I don't know. But I will say that blockchain and crypto will take off. That underlying idea of taking transactions and feeding them into each other and then sharing that across a bunch of different computers, blockchain, that will take off in many, many ways, even beyond currencies. Okay, so the first generation was Bitcoin currency. Second generation was distributed computing, Ether. These third generation sort of is the idea of replacing contracts, lawyers. It's this concept of like smart contracts. So when this condition is fulfilled, do this. So when I receive a payment, give you the deed to the house. Normally you need lawyers for that kind of thing. Using blockchain, you can actually do that automatically. I need to read up on it more, but the idea is this blockchain technology has tons of applications and we're only just now getting started. Bitcoin is just one particular application of blockchain. Bitcoin is not the only cryptocurrency yeah. in that regard. There's you know Litecoin, there's Vertcoin, there's Monero, there's Dogecoin. So there's tons of cryptocurrencies. The thing to stress is blockchain will succeed. It's hard to say which particular flavors of blockchain will be the important ones, mm-hmm. but the technology at its core is so innovative and I just cannot imagine it. That's a double negative. <laughs> it will take off, in my opinion. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate you giving me the time to spread the crypto. Spread, spread the, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to probably just list you as my brother and a crypto evangelist. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously I'm not not an expert, but I definitely want to spread the word because I believe in it.